Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Breaking and entering, drunk and disorderly, law and order. A former prosecutor and a defence lawyer, not your typical pairing. And the result? Conversations about crime and punishment that are guaranteed to get you thinking. Welcome to Justice Matters with Joe Crowley and Lizzie Green, a brand new weekly podcast. Our episodes are available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and YouTube. Check out our Instagram for clips at Justice Matters Pod. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Justice Matters, conversations about crime and punishment. Listeners are advised that this episode focuses on crimes of passion, intimate partner homicide. It contains descriptions of violence and murder, particularly against women. Welcome to Justice Matters. Uh, In this episode, we are going to be talking about media and the law and what the media does right in terms of reporting the law. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Joe. I wanted to start with uh, and unpack a quote by Justice Kirby, the great High Court judge, now retired. He said, It should be acknowledged wholeheartedly that in too many cases it has been the media rather than institutions of justice or judges which have been vindicated. So there's somebody who was at the upper echelons of the justice system in this country acknowledging the positive role that media can play in terms of justice. Now, miscarriage of justice, as a defence lawyer, I tend to uh, assume that means that you demonstrate that a person has been wrongly convicted, but there are other types of miscarriage of justice, aren't there, Lizzie? There definitely are, and I guess as a former prosecutor, I'm firmly in the camp that says the media can be so vital and instrumental in uncovering and furthering investigations that need to be made bringing about charges and also convictions against people who might otherwise have escaped being brought to court at all. We were talking yesterday when we were talking about this episode and you were particularly taken with the Chris Dawson case. Yes, yes. I think like a huge majority of people worldwide, actually, I think there's been so many millions of downloads of the Teacher's Pet podcast and the following on Teacher's Trial podcast. The Chris Dawson case really just grabbed the attention of everybody. And this was a case where... Why, sorry, before you go there, why did it grab the attention of everyone, do you think? Look, it had all of the elements of a great story. And I say that with the utmost respect to the family of Lynn Dawson, who is the victim in this case, because this isn't a story for them. It is their life. We have a good-looking young guy. We've got a beautiful young wife, two little children that they share. And she went missing one day and never came back. The husband was left with the two young girls. He moved on and had a relationship with 
someone else and forged a new life in a different state. That, but that happened quite quickly from recollection, didn't well, it? Well, it did. It did. But it wasn't until 40 years after Lynette Dawson went missing that a journalist was interested in pursuing this story and the revelations that came about as a result of his investigation were of the type that could not help but grab everyone's attention. Turns out that the new partner was in fact a very young student of Chris Dawson, the, the man whose wife had disappeared within a matter of weeks after Lynette had disappeared. He had moved her into the family home. She was wearing Lynette Dawson's wedding rings mm. and he married her very soon after and they moved to Queensland. She did eventually leave him and she did make a uh, complaint or a report to the police that suggested she thought he had killed Lynette Dawson that investigation didn't really gain a lot of traction. Depending on whose perspective, there was some suggestion that the police investigation was not ideal. Both Chris Dawson and his twin brother were um, semi-famous football players. They were, you know, quite revered at one time. And for whatever reason, the investigation didn't go too far. And so then Headley Thomas gets involved. That's right. And, and he, do we know why he decided to... He'd been following the story, as I understand it, since, you know, some 20 years earlier. So it was a story that had piqued his interest. He's done a lot of work in that realm of women who have been murdered or gone missing. Um, he's been very, very active in that space. And so this was a case he had always been interested in. And so he talked to so many people who hadn't necessarily been spoken to by the police. He was like a dog with a bone. He really wasn't willing to let this go. And I think he had suspected Chris Dawson from a really early stage of being the instrument of her disappearance. And I think Headley was quite open in saying her murder. He, he believed Chris Dawson had murdered her. So I mean, the point is that this podcast, which just grew so much traction, seems to be the reason that there was a renewed police investigation. And because of that police investigation, Chris Dawson, now in his 70s, was charged with the murder of his wife. Her body was never found, but we have the availability to prosecute a murder charge in the absence of a body that has happened many times. And so he was brought to trial. He was convicted in a judge-only trial. There was no jury. Um, and he has been sentenced for that offence and he will spend the rest of his life in jail. I'm interested to know if you can answer this, but I mean, how much of the stuff that Hedley Thomas found made its way into the actual evidence of trial? Because there's often information, you would have seen this as a prosecutor, that journalists will turn up and report on which never ends up, you know, being heard by a jury or a judge because it's not admissible because, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, I think there was quite a mix. I think there was evidence that was, in fact, taken up by the police, investigated further. Statements were taken from people who had not otherwise been spoken to, some of her former work colleagues, a neighbour. Because of that evidence that came out through those interviews on the podcast, police then went and did the formal interviews and built this case. And the picture that was painted was very different to the picture that Chris Dawson had given when he was first spoken to when his wife disappeared. And in fact, little things that the podcast revealed were things that Chris Dawson's original statement was missing, never found. But turns out, which Headley uncovered, one of Lynn's work friends had submitted a freedom of information request for the police investigation way back because she wasn't satisfied with the investigation. And so because she'd done that, that copy of that statement was preserved in that information request. And yeah. so it was then uncovered because of what Headley Thomas had 
yeah. managed to extract from these And my people. recollection was that lies, he, he was prosecuting lies as evidence of guilt for those who are non-lawyers. It's a, if, if you tell lies and those are proved to be lies and they have to be about certain topics, then they can be evidence of your guilt. And that was a really central part of the case against it Chris was, Dawson. It was it? a big one. And, you know, there was evidence that came out in the, well, I call it evidence, but information that came out in the podcast about the state of their marriage and the suggestion that Chris Dawson was abusive to her. Also evidence that the night before she went missing, she'd spoken to family members on the phone and they believe she sounded woozy and possibly on drugs or alcohol, which was so unlike her. And so it allowed this narrative to be pursued, which was eventually borne out and found to be fact by the judge that he was the person who had controlled her the night before, who had presumably drugged her in some way and then killed her and disposed of her body before mm. going on to retrieve his 17-year-old girlfriend and install her in the house. Yeah, yeah. So uh, an example there of the media uh, holding police to account to some, some extent in terms of pursuing an investigation that by the sounds of it they hadn't really put enough time into originally. Yes, I think so. The other uh, ways I think that the media can be positive in terms of making sure that innocent people are, uh, are found innocent even after conviction you know, is really important in terms of the, the reporting on cases and that uh, the Chamberlain custody is a classic example of that. So to remind everybody, uh, Azaria Chamberlain, who was a nine-week-old baby, she uh, is taken by a dingo when her family are camping at Uluru, then called Ayers Rock, and uh, the dingo came into the tent uh, and attacked the baby, and then when the dingo was discovered, it then ran off with baby Azaria, and her body's never been found. Her mother, Lindy Chamberlain, who saw part of that, saw a, a dingo in the tent doing something, and then, you know, the dingo running off, you know, ran back to the uh, the air, the barbecue area at the campsite where a whole lot of people were gathering, and you know, called out, "A dingo's got my baby." That fantastic, or well, not fantastic, that very famous, infamous line now, which has made its way into popular culture, you know. And then everyone goes out looking, looking for the baby. But then, you know, within a reasonably short amount of time, the media had begin begun to portray Lindy as the, you know, as the suspect and the murderer. Now, now I should say, in any killing of a child, the parents would always be looked at as suspects. I mean, similarly in the Chris Dawson case, I, you know, I don't think it took a rocket scientist to say the suspect might be the husband. I mean, you know, in intimate partner homicides are, you know, one of the most common form of murders. So um, he was obviously going to be a, a suspect. No, you, you want to say something? Well, I mean, you say obviously, but by all accounts, it was a cursory conversation with him. They took his word that she decided to leave her two small children and go to the Central Coast and just was never heard from again. She had a really close family. Her mother never heard from her again. She didn't return for funerals of family members. And they they pretty much let Chris write a statement, say, you know, she said she was leaving and that was the end of it, yeah. initially at least. Don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to justify a police investigation. It sounds like they didn't do what they should have done. But, you know, I, I don't think, you know, it was a great piece of um, Sherlock Holmes sleuthing on the part of uh, Hedley Thomas to decide that the real murder was probably Chris Dawson. Uh, you know, but I mean, I'd take nothing away from him. He obviously did an enormous amount of work and, and as you Absolutely. pointed out, uncovered stuff that then, uh, you know, led to the re-prosecution or yep. the prosecution because he'd never been prosecuted. Never been prosecuted. Yeah. So in the Chamberlain case, it was it was just a a, a level of media interest in the case. Again, uh, you know, for reasons uh, I think, uh, you know, it's an exotic location. It's got wild animals, and this idea of wild animals attacking humans is something that I think people have a, a ghoulish fascination yes. with. But also, you know, a young mother, you know, Lindy Chamberlain, and this idea that maybe she was this, you know, secretly this you know, black widow type or something who uh, would go about murdering her children. And they, from recollection, were Seventh-day Adventists, I think. So they were from a, a quite a conservative religious background. And that was then picked up on by the media. I mean, some of the, there was books before she was even prosecuted. There was books written about, you know, these sort of airport novel type trashy books. I'll give you the names of some of them. They're unbelievable. Azaria, Trial of the Century. Azaria, 
what the jury weren't told, Azaria, evidence, fact or fiction. You know, and these are books that are being published and people are absolutely gobbling them up. And the media uh, was, you know, uh, on the whole, not every journalist, but on the whole, was was very anti Lindy Chamberlain and thought that she was a child murderer. Oh, well, and again, I mean, I was... You know, I, I suppose my interest was not fully realised in this until I was a bit older. But one of the things that I remember with the media particularly was that they made such a big deal out of her reaction to the baby dying. Yeah. And if there's one thing that we know now, it's that you cannot typecast a reaction to grief or trauma or yeah. loss or, you know, whatever. And yeah. and that has really stuck with me. I know they came round, the media came round. But initially, it was just brutal. Yeah, that that she wasn't um, emotional enough. Yes. you know, she wasn't giving a normal and in inverted commas reaction to That's right. her, her baby being killed. What no, is a I, normal reaction? Yeah, God. I mean, exactly. Oh, I mean, I don't think the Chamberlains helped themselves. I think the the, the sort of the, the media stunts they did by walking out of the court. I don't know if you remember that and rolling out the gigantic poster size photograph of Azaria. I don't think that kind of stuff helped them. I mean, as a defence lawyer, you always say to your clients, do not speak to the media. No, um, but you'd want, as a mother, I would want that huge picture of my baby. I'd want everyone to be looking at that. This is what we've lost, yeah. you know. Yeah, Oh, a- absolutely. Uh, you, you can see why that they would want to do something like that. But mm-hmm. in another sense, you can see the, the, the how the media the can use that stuff. Yeah. I remember it when I was in grade three. I remember it at school. It was, you know, all we could talk about in primary school in the playground, this idea that, a, a, you know, a dingo had uh, taken a baby and was it true or was it the murder? So, you know, it was something that even, uh, you know, that young age I can still remember the, the kind of reactions to it. If you, I reckon if you polled the Australian population now, 95% of people would say Lindy Chamberlain was innocent. So how is it we go from a position where I, th- I think 95% of the population thought she was guilty to 95% of the population think she's innocent. And that has to do with what subsequently happened in a legal sense, but also the media then took a different attitude. The media has so much power. Yes. You know, this is is a case in point where it was both devastating but also amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, John Bryson uh, was a journalist and he wrote a book called Evil Angels, which um, people might recognise as the name of the film, which subsequently it was the book was turned into a film, mm. starred Meryl Streep, and uh, she was nominated for an Academy uh, for her role as Lindy Chamberlain. Uh, I mean, that movie uh, didn't come out till after, but it was at 1985, so the murder occurs in, um, well, not in the murder, the, the baby was taken by the dingo in 1980, and, uh, you know, it rolls through the court process uh, it was a, I won't bore people with why, but it was a bit more of an extended court process um, because of different things that happened. But in 1985 is when Evil Angels was first published. Uh, you know, and that is really the first occasion when the, 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 the majority of the media, you know, switches. We then have on the ground the matinee jacket is found uh, when a British tourist is walking on Uluru. The matinee uh, jacket being the baby's little cardigan. But the baby's cardigan, thank you. The tourist falls off uh, and dies, uh, and that tragic event leads to something very positive, which is when they went looking for uh, that tourist body, they Did find he, die? he died. Hmm. One of the reasons that you shouldn't walk on Uluru. Correct. Um, the, so they find the matinee jacket, they find this uh, the baby's cardigan, and that supported what Lindy had said, that the baby was wearing a cardigan when the dingo um, took it. She, so she was in jail at that point. She'd been convicted. She'd lost uh, on her appeals all the way up to the High Court. Had lost. Um, so there's nothing more that she could do. They find this new evidence. Before they'd even gone any further than that, they immediately let her out of jail. And then they ordered a Royal Commission. And it really was the Royal Commission that unpicked the, the case and demonstrated, you know, what a miscarriage of justice, what justice it was. You, you might recall one of the reasons they let her out of jail, Bob Hawke, who was a prime minister at the time, he made a captain's call, if you like, to pardon her. And, you know, I think one of the reasons he did that, he was a master at understanding the Australian public and where, you know, the... the Loyalties. Yeah, and, and what people were thinking and feeling. And I think he had decided that really supported swung in favour of Lindy Chamberlain. Uh, you know, he pardons her and then it's only after she's been pardoned 
So a pardon just um, you just don't have to suffer any further punishment. It doesn't mean you're innocent. innocent. They then set about a royal commission, which then um, demonstrates that. So, and, and I think a lot of that had to do with the influence that the media had in terms of pushing that. I mean, it, it's taken a very long time for the legal system to catch up with all of that and to for it to finally be legally recorded that uh, Zari was taken by a dingo. But yeah, I think. And it- I, look, and I appreciate what you're saying that the media were a positive force at the end for Lindy. But then the thing that, you know, this idea of prejudicial pre trial publicity, mm. whereby a jury, you know, there's an argument that a jury could be unduly influenced by what they've read in the media. I mean, there were, wasn't there, coronial inquests into yep. Azaria's death yep. that found it had been a dingo yes but that didn't stand and it was a jury who convicted her and you have to think if the media had not been so cutting and so convincing would a jury really have been satisfied beyond reasonable doubt there were so many issues with the evidence in that case yeah oh so many issues i mean it's a fantastic study in a whole series of things mm. one of the interesting things that i think is the way that the trial was run by the prosecutor i mean miscarriage of justice cases often part of the problem is is that they the person is poorly represented at trial uh, and you see that in a lot of cases lindy chambers is not one of those she had excellent representation mm. at trial and at appeal and she still lost. So, uh, yeah, I, I think so. because what the prosecutor did is all of the people who were at the barbecue, who were the campers who were there on the night, who Lindy ran up to and said, a dingo's got my baby, they all believed that a dingo had taken the baby. Yeah. And they all believed that Lindy was telling the truth. Now, they have to be called as prosecution witnesses because they're, you know, relevant. They're there. They've got irrelevant information. So for the prosecutor, how do you do that? You are calling, you know, 10 witnesses who all think that Lindy Chamberlain's innocent and give stories that support what she says. What happened was they all get called in the first few days of the trial. The trial then lurches on for another couple of weeks and then all of the scientific evidence is called. And it was the scientific evidence that turned out to be very subpar and that was what was revealed in the Royal Commission. And so the jury then sit there for weeks listening to scientific evidence saying that Lindy's guilty. And I mean, I've seen this happen in juries. Fantastic evidence comes out. And then a long, you know, a period of time goes by before the jury go and deliberate. And so that the force of the of the evidence, I think, of all those of the people who are at the barbecue who thought Lindy was in it. Well, it was lot obviously it was lost. I mean, I think the jury deliberated. I don't think it was an easy verdict for them. But wasn't there also like the the woman who was closest to Lindy or had spoken to her the most, wasn't she not called or didn't they not take a statement from her? She had to call the police herself. Well, I think the original investigation was problematic because I think because the police who arrived on the night accepted Lindy's story. And yeah. so that so it wasn't until, I mean, Lindy and Michael Chamberlain went home 48 hours afterwards, you know, back to Mount Isa. This is mm. from Uluru back to their hometown in Mount Isa in Queensland because it, it, they didn't initially sort of start a murder investigation until mm. later. And you're right, the original coronial inquest found that um, a dingo had taken the baby and that was then set aside. The police then applied to the Supreme Court of the, oh, I think it was the federal court back then, to have that set aside and then they had a second coronial inquest. We bandy around that term miscarriage of justice. Yeah. But when you think of it in the context of Lindy Chamberlain, whose entire life yeah. trajectory yeah. was destroyed. Yeah. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
because of this fervor to call her a murderer. Yeah. It is just heartbreaking. Yeah. And, and I mean, not just that she's had the trauma of losing a child, but that the trial then becomes such a media sensation. I mean, and she ends up leaving Australia. She doesn't live in Australia anymore. Mm. Certainly she didn't last time I, you know, she's living in the United States, married an American. That's not even thinking like we're kind of ignoring Michael here, yeah. but also her surviving children. Yes. Like just so many lives, which yeah. of course it's not entirely down to the media. No. But if they hadn't been so against her in the start, oh, you just have to think what what could have been different. And yeah. I guess that's a common theme in so many miscarriage cases. Oh, uh, oh, absolutely. Mm. But I mean, her case. I mean, you know, the 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 book, The Evil Angels, is then taken up in Hollywood. It's a movie. The line of Dingo's got my baby. You know, ends up on The Simpsons. Seinfeld. Ends up on Seinfeld. You know, so it really enters the, the you know popular culture. So the impact on that on Lindy and her family. I mean, you know, must have been incredible. Well, thank God the media changed their stance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. She might. Which probably wouldn't still be in jail. I mean, they found the matinee jacket and she had good legal representation. Yes. I'm sure they would, have, they would have pushed to have it all unpicked. But, I mean, from somebody who has represented people who have been convict, wrongly convicted and have exhausted all their appeals, it's a really hard job trying to then unpick a mm. prosecution case and get something going to get back into court. Because no matter how much you can prove somebody innocent, it doesn't, matter, it doesn't mean anything until you can legally get back into court and do something. And the media is so helpful, I think, in, in doing that. I mean, I saw that in the Stafford case. Graham Stafford uh, is convicted of murder. He's convicted in 1992. The murder in inverted commas. Well, sorry. I mean, Leanne Holland was definitely murdered. There's no doubt about that. I think it's demonstrable that he was not the killer. And certainly the Court of Appeal in Queensland has quashed that conviction. So uh, that occurs in 1991. She, Leanne, she's a 12-year-old girl. She's found, uh, her body's found. She's been bashed to death. I mean, obviously a child killing is something that is horrific and the society understandably you know, is revolted by that and it, it tends to be something the media reports on a lot, particularly such a brutal murder. And so it was a media sensation at the time. It's the September school holidays. Leanne is last seen on the Monday. She's reported missing on the Tuesday. Police immediately start investigating it as a murder on the Wednesday. Her body's found on the Thursday. Graham Stafford's arrested on the Saturday. And his photograph is in the paper as being the person who has been arrested and put on the news on the Sunday and the Monday. So they'd arrested him before they'd even got the, the the scientific results back from a whole lot of stuff they'd done at the house. And the scientific results for a whole lot of stuff they had found at the house actually demonstrated there was almost no blood in the house. And so they had a huge problem with the case against Graham Stafford at that point, but, you know, he'd be, it had been reported in the media. There'd been footage of him being, you know, loaded into a police van. So, you know, you can see why how there, there was a real impetus to just keep going with the case. I mean, I'm not saying that's what happened, but certainly if I was a police officer who had, you know, done that arrest and then all of the evidence I was hoping would show that he was the murderer turns out not to show that, it would be pretty brave to then, you know, go out and go, oh, yeah, we actually got the wrong bloke, uh, letting him go. Brave the right thing to do okay so and the media is is dead again him you know right up after the trial you know he's convicted and there's you know the you know, headlines about child killer he goes to jail he has a terrible time in jail because he, people think he's a child killer so he's treated abominably and it's not till 1996 so he's convicted in 92 he's been in jail for years 1996 daryl giles at the career mail starts to take an interest in the case and starts to uh, write about some of the inconsistencies. By that stage, uh, Graham Crowley, no relation, had um, he was a private investigator and he'd been employed to look into the case and then he'd just taken it on pro bono and he'd started to find a whole lot of problems with the case. And the media then very positive in terms of Graham Staff and his potential innocence. It's not until 2007 that a pardon petition goes in that's then referred to the Court of Appeal. And there's a, there's a court case in 2009. So for that whole period, Daryl Giles, a guy called Peter McCutcheon at the 7.30 report, the ABC, and ABC's Australian Story, all, Caitlin Shea there, the producer there, she's fantastic, they all did positive stories about Graham's innocence and about problems with the case. 
he, he applies for parole. So he's never admitted that he was guilty. And he applies for parole and is given parole on his first application. And that is, I mean, as you know, that's not something that happens, particularly no. not when you don't admit your guilt. And I think it was because of the positive media pressure. Okay. By that stage, a book had been written about the case as well by Graham Crowley and um, Professor Paul Wilson. And so all the media was very positive. And then his convictions quashed. A retrial is ordered on, I'll say for completeness, which has never occurred, unfortunately. I'd be happy to be involved in that. Um, <laughs> And then there's, you know, a, a very positive Australian story comes out and there's positive media articles that come out. And then there's a show called Murder Uncovered that uh, gets in touch with This is years later. So uh, in 2017, uh, I was contacted by Murder Uncovered, this TV show that wanted to do a story on the Stafford case. That wasn't unusual. Every few years somebody wants to do a story on it. Well, and I think we need to say you were involved at yeah. this stage in assisting Stafford. You know, you're not just someone who's reading about it with interest. You're actually actively involved. Yeah, so I, I was uh, acting as his lawyer. So I spoke to him and, I mean, I wasn't going to do it if he didn't want me to. It was, uh, and he, But he was happy to be involved, happy for me to be involved. And at that stage what had happened is the police had done a reinvestigation or, sorry, a review, let's call it, a review of the case and they'd reviewed the evidence. Now, they said that they'd found new evidence and that Graham Stafford was still the most likely suspect. They refused to release the report. They refused to say what the new evidence was. They wouldn't even say that. All they'd say is that they'd looked at all these other potential people who could have, you know, suspects. None of those people, you know, they discounted all of those people and the only person they couldn't discount was Graham Stafford. Anyway, they wouldn't release the report. So we go through this legal process of freedom of information or right to information to try and get a copy of this report and the police do everything they can to stop us. We It took six years and we had to go all the way to the Court of Appeal. And it was really because of the media that we ended up getting it and, I'll, and not in a good way. I'll, so Murder uncovered this TV program, Get In Touch, and they asked to interview me and Graham Stafford and Graham Crowley. And I say, yep, no problems. Graham Stafford's happy for me to be involved. And it, I mean, I'd been interviewed about the case so many times, I, I uh, you know, just roll off the tongue. They asked me all the standard questions about the weaknesses in the case. And so I talked about it all. It was a pretty sort of standard interview in, that I'd done in, ter in terms of the case. And then they said to me, oh, this is sort of November 2016. And they're like, oh, look, next year after Christmas, we're going to get back in touch just for a short final interview. Is that okay? I was like, of course, that's okay. No trouble. And they did the same thing with Graham Stafford and Graham Crowley. Anyway, so it comes to whenever in January or February or whatever where they're doing this re-interview and I had spoken to Graham Crowley and Graham Stafford and I knew that Graham Stafford was going up to the Channel 7 studios to be interviewed. And so I'm sitting there after work one day. I get a call from him. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was calling to say, oh, you know, I've just done the interview, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I get a call from him. He says, I'm here at the interview now. They've got a polygraph. They want me to take a lie detector test. And they've got a copy of the police review. This is the review that we were currently in litigation trying to get. Mm. He said, they've got a copy of it. It says I'm guilty. They've, they've thrown all this stuff at me, all this new evidence. You know, just classic foot-in-the-door journalism. I hadn't told him before the interview that that's what they were going to do. They put the cameras on him and the lights on him and then they go, we've got the review, Ambush. you're guilty. Yeah. Anyway, so we have this discussion on the phone. Unbelievably, this is honestly, I mean, as a lawyer, I just am <laughs> gobsmacked by this. That phone call is recorded by Channel 7. Yeah. So he's in the studio in Channel 7 and he gets up from the interview where he's being interviewed and he walks over to the corner of the studio and he makes a call on his mobile phone. And so you can hear what he's saying, but... I don't know whether they had the booms or whatever, picking up the sound. You could hear what I was saying. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, Lord. So, so they play that in the TV show. And just in case you don't understand what I'm saying, they had subtitles <laughs> of what I was saying. Can I bet it, it wasn't good. Well, luckily there was no swearing because, I mean. Yeah, I find that was, hard to believe. Yeah, so do I. Afterwards, <laughs> I was like, thank God I didn't swear in that call. To explain that in a legal sense, that conversation is obviously, one, privileged. confidential, but two, it's legally, professionally privileged. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and P.S., it's an offence in Queensland to record a conversation you're not a party to. Yeah. So, in fact, Channel 7 were committing an offence. Anyway. Okay. I'm, I think we yeah. need to just say. We are saying good things about the media. Sure. This is, but it, it does always get dog legs into yeah, this, this is a big dog the things leg. that they do wrong. So mm. let's just qualify that. Yes. This is, a, this is a long way of getting around to it being a good thing. Yes. Anyway, so, so I know that they've got the review now. My interview set for the following day. 
So I get a call from the prosecutor, from the prosecutor, from the producer of the show after Graham Stafford's finished his interview. And he says, well, by now you'd know we've got the review, the police review. Do we know, you, you know, we just recorded yeah, it. Yeah. Do you still want to be interviewed? And I was like, yes, I still want to be interviewed. Because I thought, you know, it really annoyed me. I thought, yeah, I'm going to push back. Because, I mean, that's what lawyers do. We are, that's, arguing is our thing. Yeah. You know, that's what we're trained to do. So I thought, you know, you get some person who's not trained in arguing and you're, and you're ambushing. You know, I thought, I'm damn straight, I'm going to be there. Confident. You, yeah. Yeah. Now, I knew it was still going to be partially an ambush because they didn't give me a copy of the review. They gave me the executive summary. Oh. It was a bit of an ambush because they go, here's the executive summary. It is 20 pages. You've got 15 minutes to read it and then we're going to interview you. Mm. Now, again, as you know, Lizzie, from somebody who's a pit in court, being handed a document you have to quickly read and then and talk about is, again, A finely honed skill. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. So I was like, bring it on. Let's do it. <laughs> so I, I got the – and I, I went through it with my pen as I do and I underlined things and wrote in the margins. They said they were going to take the document back off me. I wasn't allowed to keep the executive summary. Did you summary. take photos? No, I didn't. But I wrote in the margin because I knew they were going to get it. I wrote in the margin and things like, bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> this is crap. <laughs> anyway, so then they uh, so then they interviewed me. But, they, but the executive summary just gives the conclusions. You know, it just says, we found DNA yeah. in the bathroom and the DNA says this. Now, because I'd done DNA cases, for example, I knew that there's going to be problems because the DNA was 19 years old. You know, it's really hard to get accurate readings off that kind of stuff. So I knew that, but I couldn't definitively say that because I didn't have the report. I couldn't yeah. unpick the... Anyway, I pushed back. What a surprise. Yeah, surprise. But none of it, none of it, like there's this like 10 second grab from the <laughs> interview goes for half an hour. They put like this 10 second grab up. Oh, what a waste. Um, sorry, in... in in, in Channel 7's defence, they did two things. One, they allowed me to look at the, the document they had. They said, if you come to the Channel 7 studios, you can sit down and go through it. Matter, you know, The executive so, summary? No, the whole document. Oh, the whole thing? Yeah, and so I did. I went up and I looked at it, the whole document that they had because I wanted to confirm it was the review. Mm. So because then And we, it was? And it was. Well, I said it was. The, the court found it was because we went back to the court and said, yeah. well, the police won't give it to us, but Channel 7 have got it and have just done a nationally televised TV program about it. So the court then said, okay, well, you can, you have, can it. have it. That was then appealed by the police. We had to go to the Court of oh Appeal. My. Yeah. Anyway. The I am actually very pro-police generally. Well. The, I want that on the record. The, sure. The Court of Appeal weren't on that occasion and no, no. absolutely hosed them out. And so we got, we got the, we end up getting the document. So. I mean, it was good in the to the extent that we got the review document, but you know, we did have to go through this very negative media experience, and it was amazing how, you know, journalists were just not interested in the case after Murder Uncovered came out. They everyone didn't want to touch it, and it took a few years of Graham Crowley doing a podcast. If we're advertising people's podcasts, let's advertise that one. Who killed Leanne Holland? You know, and uh, and really proselytizing about the case and Graham Stafford's innocence that really sort of got people back involved. And so we've had some more positive media and touch wood. Hopefully next year there'll be some positive media coming out about the case yeah. because the government won't do anything about it. They won't have a coronial inquest, which is what we've been asking for, you know, so we can have some kind of inquiry into who killed Leanne Holland. So See, if there's enough media attention, then yes. it'll happen. Yeah. Well, it's true. I've done, I've done a miscarriage of justice cases with no media attention and, and you, don't, you put in the pardon petition couple of months later you get a letter back saying it's rejected you don't get any reasons yeah so I, I put five pardon petitions in i had a one my first was the stafford case that got referred to the court of appeal i had a 100 percent success rate i've now put in four that others have failed so i've got a 20 percent success rate you need now. to work on that Jane. i know yeah. my stats are bad <laughs> yeah so that's a uh, an example i hope of the of the positive stuff that media can do yeah in terms of innocent people being exonerated exonerated yeah but, I mean, the DNA inquiry is, a, is an interesting one of, well, you Well, yeah. I mean, look, I guess it's a little bit niche, the DNA lab, because... We better explain it for yes. people who aren't okay. living in Queensland. All right. So we're, we're facing a bit of a crisis in our forensic evidence processing here in Queensland. So we have one, or we had one government forensic lab that would be sent the samples from whole range of crimes, property offending, driving, sex offences, murders, assaults, all of that sort of thing. So we had one lab, 
back when I was at the DPP, it was called the John Tong Centre. If you sent a requisition off to the John Tong Centre, you weren't going to get it back in any hurry because they had huge backlogs, so many samples to work through. Anyway, there was a case from Mackay. A young woman called Shandy Blackburn was murdered and she was left lying in a literally a pile of blood on the road. The case resulted in her ex-partner being charged with her murder. There was evidence about his vehicle, about a weapon, about a shirt. There was Shandy herself with all of the blood evidence surrounding her. And it comes to trial, and I'm really giving you the abridged version, comes to trial and the DNA samples that had been sent, so something like 50 samples had been taken from inside the accused's vehicle. Yeah. Filthy car, hadn't been washed. There were samples taken from the blood on on Shandy, around Shandy, like pure blood. And the thing that happened was they all came back saying no DNA detected. So from these... So many samples, there was no DNA. And from a blood sample, it's... From blood. Yeah. Like, just not actually able to conceive how that would happen. Anyway, so I went to trial. Other things happened in the trial, like evidence that was not allowed of text messages, you know, this sort of thing that happens in trials. But so he was acquitted and that seemed to be the end of it. But then Headley Thomas got wind of this case and he started investigating and He was reading about the fact that there was no DNA Mm. detected and he was like, well, I don't really get that. So he literally Googled forensic scientist and this woman's name came up, Kirsty Wright. He contacted her and she happened to have a bit of time. So she looked it over and that just blew everything up because she was or she is incredibly intelligent across all of these processes. She had worked at the government lab in the past and she said, this is, this is impossible. Yeah. You know, and so it started this huge inquiry. They really pushed and pushed for the government to have. So when you say they, so there was, so there's a podcast that comes out of this Headley Thomas investigation yes. called and Shandy's Story. Shandy's Story. And it's, and from that, the media interest in that. The media interest in that. And also Headley Thomas and Kirsty Wright, who, has been referred to as a whistleblower now because yep. she shone the light on the flaws that were evident in the yep. processes. But so, I mean, they didn't even start with the DNA lab in their sites. They were just simply looking at this unsolved murder of Shandy Blackburn and and this is where it led them. But he recorded his attempts to speak with Parliament and different members of parliament and Anastasia Palaszczuk and... Who was the Premier of Queensland. Premier of Queensland, yep. yes. And they they said they had the utmost faith in the DNA lab. They weren't going to do anything about it. They'd mm. investigate internally. And it wasn't until Headley Thomas really pushed on the record, we need an independent public inquiry. And so then that happened. So when you say on the record, you mean in the podcast? Yeah, he yeah. played it on the podcast. Yeah. And obviously other news outlets... Yep. Have picked up, up the story, the Australian, and it's being reported. Well, yes, because Headley Thomas works. For <laughs> yes, the works with the Australian. But so it it really garnered all of this attention, and so Parliament had no choice but to have a public inquiry into the DNA lab. Yeah, and what it uncovered was that they had been. And I'm not a scientist, but from what I understand, they'd been cutting corners, they'd implemented a different testing process that didn't check as many markers as was good practice. And so they were coming back with no DNA detected, even though if they had been testing at the correct level, DNA would have been detected. Yeah. So almost immediately, there was one case totally unrelated to Shandy that was a rapist. So the victim had made a complaint very quickly after the rape. They'd taken samples. She had named the person who she said had raped her Mm. and they did the testing of the samples and it came back, no Mm, DNA detected. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so nothing happened. Then this comes out and so they did a private testing of the sample, I think. Ah, lo and behold, Mm. the person she identified was the person whose DNA DNA, was found. And so that 
was then prosecuted or is going to be prosecuted. So it's not just Shandy's story that is the focus here. It is the literally tens of thousands of samples that have been returned with no DNA detected, which means that either people who possibly could have been exonerated through DNA evidence have been convicted or people who should have been charged have never been charged. Well, let me just say, I'm not sure that the DNA inquiry looked at people who were, they looked at the testing process. I don't think they looked at people who had claimed wrongful conviction. I say that because I put two submissions into that inquiry about DNA cases. There is one though, the guy with the hammer. Oh, really? So there was a guy who was charged and convicted of um, the murder of his wife or partner. The murder weapon was a hammer, I think. And he had said at the time, you test that, there'll be somebody else's DNA on that because I didn't do this. Yeah. No DNA detected. Um, but in fact, there was. Really? The DNA of somebody else on that hammer. And so that would have been the reasonable doubt. Yes. And so I'm pretty sure his case is one of those that will be yeah. um, revisited. Yes. So, I mean, it, it's actually created the most amount of problems for yep. the Queensland criminal justice system yep. because not only are there all of these tens of thousands of samples that have not been tested properly yep. and the fallout from that, but even if samples come back with DNA, our current double jeopardy laws are not crafted in a way that would allow retrials on matters like rape or sexual assault. So... Because Justice it, still won't be served. Yeah, and that, and that for people who haven't read the the section is because it's only designed for. I think it's only murder, isn't it? Murder and the administration of justice offences like perjury. Oh, like perjury. Okay. Obstructing justice or yeah, yeah. So, I mean, look, it is definitely a watch this space. But the point is, without Headley's investigation into. Shandy's unsolved murder, none of this would have come to light without his pressure and other media outlets' pressure on the government. The inquiry would not have happened. And even still, after the inquiry, Headley Thomas is still uncovering further misrepresentations about the processes that increase the potential for further, you know, cases to be dealt with fairly which yeah. have not to this date so i know i i have probably signed on as the number one fan of the headley thomas wow, fan group Jeepers. but his work has been phenomenal in the last few years yeah. in advancing matters that would have otherwise just been lost yeah he's certainly batting a thousand you said something i think before we just started recording that this is the biggest thing to happen in forensic science in the whole world that's what kirsty wright said really yep yeah well, tens of thousands of cases, you say, to be potentially revisited. Samples, so. that's right. And do you know what? I mean, this is neither here nor there, but when the inquiry was announced and they were, the the government were thanking all of them, the people who'd worked so hard and were going to put in all the effort, they did not mention Kirsty Wright. Really? Who put her reputation, her yep. career, yep. everything on the line yep. for these unknown victims to get justice. And I just think that was... Yeah. I think that was a travesty. Yes. But um, anyway, yes, I get very, you know, very emotional about all of this because it makes you think, what else are we missing? Yes. With- yeah. Sorry, you think what else are we missing in terms of people who haven't been properly, you know, people who've committed crimes and haven't been yes. convicted. And I Correct. think what are we missing in terms of people <laughs> who have been convicted and wrongly? Well, and I look, and I am on board with that being dealt with as well. But I guess I cannot take away my prosecutor brain. No. And I just think how, how many victims have not gotten justice? Yeah. yeah. So just to sort of round up things. So I, there was a great quote by Malcolm X, the African-American civil rights activist. He said, the media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent. Uh, and that's power because they control the minds of the masses. I think you might be pitching it a little too high there in terms of controls the minds of the masses, but certainly, uh, you know, a really good point and and demonstrating the 
the important role that media play in, and that's what's really struck me about this discussion, holding the police to account in terms of the way they investigate, yeah. in terms of making sure that people who've committed crimes are dealt with. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, the media can say whatever they like, but without the police taking it on and investigating or for miscarriage of justice cases for the system to come to the yeah. party, nothing actually changes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it's, I think that's probably a, a lovely way to, to sum it up to make the system come to the party because as lawyers we know doesn't matter what happens in the newspaper. Mm -hmm. If the, a court, you know, doesn't deal with it or an inquiry doesn't deal with it, it's not legally worth nothing anything. Nothing changes. Yeah, yeah nothing yeah. changes. What a great note to finish on. All right. Love it. Thank you, Lizzie. Thank you, Joe. See you next episode. Thanks for tuning into this episode. You can find links to the cases that we discussed in the description. You can also find a link to Guardian Criminal Law, and a big shout out to them for making this podcast possible. The majority of criminal cases involve people, normal people, people like you, people like me, who find themselves in an unusual set of circumstances that would not usually occur in their life. My name's Mark Savick, and I'm here to assist you with your criminal matter. I look forward to hearing from you and being of assistance to you. If you're interested in clips, you can look at them on Instagram and TikTok. Just search for Justice Matters Pod. See you next episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.